0: and welcome once again to the daily gator daily thought podcast my friends if you are left you are just not right and you never will be uh let's kick this pig my friends let's get into this right here right now i got a great piece you look at the state of what i call California, used to be known as california if you look at all the states of the union they all have advantages disadvantages i don't think any state is more blessed with the ability to thrive than California. Typically great great weather. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful beaches. An extremely long coastline of beautiful beaches. Incredible wildlife. The incredible national parks and forests they have there. The the glorious mountains. Uh, What don't they have? They're the center of the well, the entertainment industry in many ways. So why, how did California destroy its middle class? Well, there's a video on YouTube that uh, Victor Davis Hansen has done, and that's the exact question he asks, is how California, how in the hell did they destroy its middle class? Well, if I was to give you one word, it would be Marxism. That's just the way it is. That's what they employ now in California for the most part. But here's some bullet points from the video. Please go to YouTube and watch it. And just type in YouTube search how California destroyed its middle class. It'd probably be the first thing that pops up. Uh, The irony, Hanson says, is that as we created more wealth and more leisure because of the very success of the middle class citizen, the middle class citizen and his central role in Western government was forgotten. California in the 1960s had the largest middle class in the United States. California had the finest educational system. California invented the idea of a modern freeway and a modern airport. California had a state where two-thirds of the people lived with one-third of the precipitation, and yet they built the greatest transference of water with reservoirs and aqueducts the world has ever seen. California had the most successful oil, timber, and and mineral industries in the world. They had some of the finest universities. Again, this was a product of both Democratic governors and Republican governors. However, today when we look at California, it's got the highest number of homeless people in the United States. Half of all of America's homeless live in California. One-third of all the welfare recipients in the United States live in California. A third of the whole country lives lives in California. Uh, One-fifth of all Californians live below the poverty line. 20% below the poverty line, my friends. California yet has the highest taxes in the country in the aggregate, the highest property taxes because of the enormous assessed evaluations, highest sales tax at over 10 to 11%, highest income tax at up to 13.2%. The result of all that is that the middle class finds itself unable to pay and be competitive with other businesses in other states. They look at all of these high t- higher taxes and they say to themselves, I'm willing to pay it if I'm economically viable. But the regulations that the state creates fall heavily on the small farmer, the hardware store owner, the tire store owner, but not necessarily on the Silicon Valley Corporation that has an array of lawyers, legal teams, analysts, or economists economist, that finds ways not to pay. And, of course, that increases the burden on those who do pay, doesn't it? And so the middle class leaves. They vote with their feet. They go to places where it's it's more conducive for middle class livelihoods. We've lost somewhere between 8 and 12 million people of the middle class. At the same time, America has allowed in 20 million illegal aliens, half of which have ended up in, yeah, California. We have not built an aqueduct in California in about 40 years. That's right. Back in the Reagan administration, the first term of the Reagan administration. Uh, Schools that were rated in the top 10% of comparative state rankings are now in the bottom 10%. The airports, they're decrepit. That the more taxes I pay, the worse schools I get. In this period, there was about five, listen closely, $5 trillion in market capitalization that went out of Silicon Valley alone. And we created sort of a medieval class, a wealthy cast of barons and lords that were not subject to the consequences of their own ideology. So they had so much wealth, they felt they were exempt from worries about taxation. We created a very, very wealthy elite that was not subject to the consequences of their own ideology. And go read it all, my friends. Go watch the video. It is powerful. Pass it around. Victor Davis Hanson's a very bright guy. And you see, maybe the most powerful line is that these people get set up rich, fat, and happy, and all these regulations didn't touch them. Just touched the middle class, the lower classes, and it, well, it kneecapped them badly. Mark Sifornia. That's why I call it Mark Sifornia, my friends. Go, please, go check that. That is uh, also from Lawrence Persons' Battle Swarm blog. I don't think I've ever referenced him on uh, on the podcast before, but now I have. Uh, how about guns? Let's talk about guns just a little bit. A piece by W.R. Wordsworth called Daydreaming the Guns Away, founded at American Thinker. He writes, we find ourselves living in a high consequential time for the legal clarification of the Second Amendment. Extremely aggressive, wide-ranging bans of semi-automatic firearms have been enacted in various parts of the country, drawing illegal challenges. While the ultimate resolution of, the, of those challenges is unknowable, many observers believe the Supreme Court will eventually arrive at a decision prohibiting the wholesale banning of semi-automatic firearms. Those who dream of eliminating all private gun ownership in the United States face the prospect of a devastating legal defeat. Uh, God, I hope so, because they're the most dangerous people in this country. They want to disarm us. Uh, One can imagine their looming disappointment. They have failed to appoint Supreme Court justices who would effectively redefine the Second Amendment out of existence, and they are about to bear the consequences of that failure. But from their perspective there is comfort to be had in the prospect of eventually stripping the Second Amendment from our Constitution altogether, no matter how long it may take. And listen closely. Listen closely, my friends. I guarantee you this. When the left says something, they mean it. Believe them. And fear. And fight back. Perhaps the piece might have been entitled Let's get hysterical. How galling it must be to be deprived of so obvious a good, a gun-free society on account of something as frivolous as an obsolete, so suicidally construed constitutional amendment. On Goldstein's account, the Supreme Court has decided that a, quote, well-regulated militia includes gangbangers and wild-eyed loners with a grudge. What a shame Goldstein did not bother to provide a citation to the Supreme Court decision in which uh, this is asserted. Now, the Goldstein he's referring to uh, is Alan Goldstein, and he is described here as an aspiring intergenerational social reformer, in other words, a career idiot. Uh, He has a... um, Uh, He has a piece that is entitled, Let's Get Serious and Repeal the Second Amendment. That has been put forward to boldly launch a 50-year-plus plan to eradicate all privately-owned firearms in the United States. So Mr. Goldberg has come up with this plan, he believes, that would make you defenseless in your own home. And I guarantee you there will not be defenseless thugs out there who will not take advantage Goldstein wants to convey the impression that in upholding the Second Amendment as an individual right, the Supreme Court has established a right to criminally misuse firearms. Completely, completely uh, erroneous, that assumption. But he's a leftist. What do you expect? We are inclined to grant Goldstein the benefit of the doubt here. We do not think he actually believes this. We think he knows better. But why let the truth hinder you when a flashy a tendentious little distortion better serves your cause. If this kind of smear to be relentlessly trumpeted on an all-informed public for another 50-plus years without rebuttal, then perhaps the public, sufficiently agitated and sufficiently ignorant, would violently clamor for a fascist uh, plebiscite to rescind the Second Amendment. Goldstein's distortion showcases what passes for intellectual integrity and Political responsibility on the progressive left. Go read the whole piece, An American Thinker. What we have is an echo chamber from our media gun violence, gun violence, gun. They're a one sided propaganda machine. Mass shooting stopped by someone never gets reported. Uh, do they ever do stories of, of, uh, the, the mother who was at home with her two kids and someone broke in was coming to get her. Uh, she went and hid, I believe, in the attic, her and her children. She heard the man. There was a gun there. She had, a, I believe, it was thirty eight Special. And the man was coming up the ladder to get in the attic, if I remember correctly. Well, when he opened that door, she was on the phone to 911. I've listened to the whole call. And she's saying, I have a gun. I will shoot you. Well, that criminal opened the door. She shot him. She killed him. God bless her. God bless her children. There will come a day if the left has their way, my friends, when that woman and her kids would most likely have been slaughtered in a most horrific fashion. And the left sees that as a positive for America. Have I mentioned lately that the left is evil? Because they are. Now I'll move on here. Let's talk about the piece Daniel Greenfield wrote uh, at DanielGreenfield.org. The next chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, he has a, re- a desire to to ensure that that white male officers will become a minority in the armed forces. Now I ask, what does race have to do with your military ability, your leadership? your command skills, your your tactical or strategic uh, learnings of, of military history and military tactics, what, does that matter that you're white or that you're male? Not really. It should be the best qualified. If there's one thing you want to be a meritocracy in this world, by God, it's our military, don't you think? I mean, the higher up in responsibility you go, the more damage is done by shunning meritocracy, and going to a system that has more equity and equality. Greenfield begins when I was working in the David Horowitz Freedom Center's disloyal military investigation. I predicted that the Air Force Chief of Staff, Charles Q. Brown, would be selected as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The media is now reporting that Biden will indeed pick Brown to replace Milley. And as bad as Milley was, expect Brown to be much worse. Under General Brown, the Air Force has become the most woke of the major service branches. Brown disgraced himself and his uniform during the Black Lives Matter race riots by releasing a video in which he seemed to barely contain his rage while ranting that the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that he had sworn his life to support and defend have not always delivered liberty and equality to all. What horrible acts of oppression did one of the most powerful men in the military experience that made him turn on America? What was done to him? What do you think it was? Well, He described it in his own words, to People Magazine. When you get to senior levels, you have reserved parking spots around the base. I was in civilian clothes. I parked in a spot, and someone came out and said, that slot is reserved for the Pacific Air Force commander. And I go, yeah, I know, because I am the Pacific Air Force commander. Someone questions Brown's parking space once, and all the white male officers must pay You see, someone didn't know quite who he was because he wasn't dressed a part you might expect him to be. So it must be racism. It must be white people's fault, especially white males in the military. Someone took their bitter bitter pills that morning, didn't they? Now, what should we expect, Greenfield ponders, from Brown if he does become the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Well, last year, Brown alongside Under Secretary of the Air Force, Gina Ortiz Jones, the first gay and Filipino. So I guess she's what a gay woman in her role and other leaders signed their names to one of the most shocking and destructive racist documents ever produced by the modern military. The topic of the Air Force memorandum was officer quotas, set by race and gender. Guess quotas. Similar quotas had been issued by political appointees and the politically correct military, but they had focused on slowly boosting minority officers rather than calling for a purge of the damn white men. The 2014 quotas had looked for an 80% white, 10% black, 8% Asian officer corps, while choosing officers by any racial category rather than merit is racist, wrong, and illegal under the civil rights legislation. This fell short of Brown's proposed racist purge. Brown's quota limits the number of white officers at 67%. It would cut white men down to 43%, and he'd get a better parking space, I guess. The Air Force officer corps is currently 77% white. Getting it down to 67%, a reduction of 10%, would require a serious effort to purge white officers and bar the doors 20 new ones, reducing the number of white men in the officer corps to a minority, 43%, would cripple the service and wipe out generations of talent, especially when 86% of pilots are white men. What do you think, what do you do with those 86% of white male pilots? Rainfield ponders. General Brown and his radical allies who are destroying the Air Force and endangering national security claim that their racist and illegal policy is necessary because Diversity and inclusion are the key to successes of any organization, and that requires 7% multiracial officers. So a bean counter with an attitude problem who can't find a good parking space, that jackass might be the next uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. God help us, my friends. And now one more story. One more, well, question, I guess you might call it. At, at Pajamas Media, PJ Media, Mark Tapscott has a, uh, has a very powerful question, something I've thought a lot, especially with some of the recent mass shooters have been transgender. Uh, so it, it popped in my mind, and we know, I've studied a little bit about the effects of some of the drugs that transitioning children take and i I know what even the best and and there's there's tons of great medications out there they all have side effects of some sort or another and a lot of the the things i've seen personally and stories i've i've studied mind-altering drugs a lot of the cycle what's the word i was looking for i can't think of it but uh mental illness drugs the ones that calm you or cheer you up or lift you up or keep you level or etc 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 and then you get in the gender the uh, puberty blockers and you get in other gender related medications uh it can be a cocktail that's very dangerous and it can harm people in severe fashions and it's a very dangerous thing, and it must be monitored by uh, the best means necessary. You know, uh, to think you can just pump mental uh, mental health drugs into people, that's probably not, about, not the best way to put it, but mental wellness medication, perhaps I should say, into people without any side effects, it's kind of dangerous. Uh, but this is what Mark Tapscott wrote in part, When Audrey Hale shot her way into the Nashville Covenant School on March 27th and murdered uh, three adults and three nine-year-old children, attention immediately focused on her, quote, manifesto as possibly having the answer uh, to the the why question. Hale was clearly a seriously troubled woman who had previously attended the school. She was also undergoing gender transition drug treatments. A fact that made the contents of her manifesto even more uh, intensely of public interest. Such treatments are typically associated with the psychological condition known as gender dysphoria. Local authorities initially said the manifesto would be made public in due time, but then the FBI said nope. Uh, they got involved in analyzing the documents and collectively. Uh, said no, we don't want those released. When the Tennessee Firearms Association and a former local sheriff filed suit seeking for the uh, to force the release of the manifesto, Metropolitan National Nashville Police Department officials clamped down and refused to do so, pending resolution of the mitigation of the litigation. Is there a connection between Hale's actions, which were, we know, purely evil? And the side effects of transgendering drug treatments it's a fair question and it should be asked and those that don't want it asked or answered to me they're very dangerous people as well the manifesto made shed light on the answer to that question representative andy ogles who's a republican of tennessee whose district includes the covenant school thinks there should be an investigation into the possibility of a connection why wouldn't you at least look if it turns out that there is no connection okay but why wouldn't you at least want it examined couldn't that be a crucial a crucial piece of information or pieces of information we could glean from that uh Andy Ogles, uh, again, a representative, a state representative in Tennessee said, I think it certainly warrants some sort of investigation and or hearing into the matter. These are powerful drugs. They have side effects that can clearly be dangerous, if not deadly. And so I think it does call into question whether or not these drugs should be on the market. And certainly consideration of the question of should there be further guidance and warnings and stipulations given as to when they are administered or prescribed. Well, I would say hell yes. I think most people would. The Tennessee tragedy also focused on heightened public awareness of the extent to which the transgenderism movement has achieved a widespread presence in the national media, political, and cultural conversations writing for the Capital Research Center, the CRC, Callie Fontanilla, uh, describes her experience during a recent debate with a public school teacher and a transgendering advocate. At one point in the the debate, I mentioned that students identifying as trans are a rising trend amongst young people, particularly teens. One of the left-leaning teachers who identifies as trans Surprisingly, agreed with me. You're seeing trans, and I am too. Last semester when I was teaching, I had a trans kid in every classroom, and I was like, whoa, when I started teaching, there were none. So Fontanelia then provided a graphic demonstration of just how deeply the transgendering movement has penetrated American society. Historically, gender dysphoria only affected a very small percentage of children, less than 0.01%. And almost all cases were boys. Today, the US has, U.S. has seen an estimated one thousand percent rise in gender dysphoria over the past ten years, and the U.K. has reported a more than four thousand percent rise in girls demanding gender treatments. And seventy percent of the sick of the sex reassignment surgeries were done on girls. And now, this teacher admits to having a trans student in every classroom. So it's a growing issue. We're getting more and more of them, or at least they're saying we are. A recent viral clip exposed by Project Veritas echoes the same observation. The assistant superintendent of curriculum for the East Meadow School District was secretly recorded admitting, after the pandemic, we had an explosion of trans kids. I saw this rise in trans-identifying students during my tenure as a public school teacher, in California, as the leftist teacher in the vice debate described, I saw it go from one trans student per school to one in every classroom. How to explain this explosion in American schools? Uh, Fontanilla points to his social media pressure as one partial explanation. And that's huge for kids right now. Absolutely huge uh i remember being a teenager peer pressure is real and it's, it's it's not gotten easier it's gotten worse probably with social media far worse to be a teen because sometimes you know you get some peer pressure at school okay you're not in school you go home do your homework and you relax well now you can't go if you're that kid on facebook or or twitter or tiktok or wherever and get relief you're just going to read more things about you more bad nasty messages it's terrible. It really is, and parents need to get involved in that kind of thing. Don't just let your shit your kid shut themselves off in the room if they have internet. Because and if they got a phone, they got internet. So understand that, my friends. This is very serious. Uh, Fontanilla points to social media pressures as one per a partial explanation, but. Much more important are public school teachers and administrators and the far left advocacy groups funding the movements, training, and propaganda resources, especially the HRC, that is a human rights uh, campaign. Ever heard of the HRC's Thrive Conference? I know I haven't. And the odds are, my friends, you haven't either. The influence of this program is undeniable every year. Thrive trains thousands, thousands of youth-serving professionals, including teachers and counselors, on how to listen closely. See if this language sounds familiar. Uh, they're trained on how to create safe, inclusive, and welcoming environments for LGBTQ plus youth. According to Fontanilla, the materials provided by Thrive include event include comprehensive lesson plans now used in thousands of public schools, elementary and middle school classrooms. Lesson titles for some kind for some of their kindergarten second grade lessons. Okay, from kindergarten first and second grade uh, lesson plans include Jacob's new dress, understanding gender expression, they she he easy as A B C. Understanding names, pronouns, and gender expression. Chimera butterflies, non-binary animals, and I am jazz. Understanding transgender children. Here's something to think about. Every minute of classroom instruction that is devoted to teaching second graders about understanding gender expression. <laughs> is an hour that is not focused on improving their reading and math skills. The two skills that are essential. foundation of all subsequent learning. Uh, go read the whole thing, my friends. Um, and again, if you're a parent, a guardian, get involved in your kid's life at early ages. Understand this kind of stuff is out there and it's not good for your kids. And the the agenda is to, in the way I would describe it, it's to further the transgender agenda. And not explain it. I think it's it's a very dangerous thing. The left tends to want their way now, and they will be patient. They will wait, but eventually they think they can get their way. And too often they have won, and it's to the detriment of society. That's the show, my friends. God bless you. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate y'all. Remember the three golden rules of this podcast. Go Gators! If you're left, you just ain't right. And God bless America. Wait, I didn't say that offensively enough to left leftists. God bless America. Take care, my friends. Be good. I'll be back tomorrow. Y'all behave. Keep it between the ditches, you crazy kids. And uh, keep the faith and keep fighting, my friends. America is worth it. God bless.